Remaining standing, turn to our text, which is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 10 through 32. I remind you that this is one of three parables, as I'll mention later. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But in a way, it's really about the elder brother, because it's clear the elder brother did not rejoice with the one who was found. Verse 10 is kindly placed on the front cover of your bulletin and could be seen as the theme of this chapter. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word today. Hear us, Lord God, we ask that you might bless us with all of your spiritual blessings through this passage and make us truly grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to begin with a personal word of greeting. Years ago, i used to come to this congregation and this church building on this road in this city. 
And we were part of, let me see, was this part of the Presbytery of the South at one time? That's what I thought. So, so was Chattanooga, and we traveled to places like Louisiana and other places to have Presbytery. And then sometimes, of course, it was here. So I got to meet uh, some of you, at least. I remember particularly with uh, fondness Rich Hastings and Alan Larson, who came up and uh, met us in Car met together with me in Cartersville, and we had a great lunch, but more than that, we had a great time of fellowship and of planning for the church at Cornerstone. So your church has become, or had become, the mother church, you might say, of the church in Chattanooga. So I'm glad to be amongst you. Uh, I thank my brother for introducing me and reminding me of how old I am. I really appreciate that. Uh, but that's the way it is. Uh, I will accept it uh, with some begrudging acknowledgement. Let's Let's look at God's word now, and I want you to start by noticing we do have the outline in your bulletin and a place to take notes, and it is called the parable of the elder brother. Now, usually it's called the prodigal son, including, if you're looking at the ESV, it says the parable of the prodigal son. And of course, that's partly true. You can't miss the extensive description of what happened to the younger brother, the prodigal son. But in, a, in this context, it's really about the elder brother. And if you look at verse 1, you'll see the background to these three parables. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and, saying, and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Tax collectors, professional thieves and grifters, hirelings for the Romans, stealing money from their countrymen. We know of people like Zacchaeus and Levi, saved by the grace of God, though they were such tax collectors. And then, of course, sinners could mean any other sinners. A lot of times it includes people like prostitutes. And Mary Magdalene as an example among the disciples of Christ. We find that these were people with whom Jesus was meeting. Not approving of them, and these people were looking to him for salvation. They were being received back into the family of God as they had faith and repentance. I'm reminding, reminded of a man you might perhaps remember. His name was Harvey Kahn. He served many years in Korea. And he also later taught at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia in the area of missions and evangelism. But he ministered in the streets of Pusan, I think it was. And when he was there, he saw a bunch of women who were sold into the slavery of prostitution, sending themselves and being taken advantage of by their pimps. And he made it his ministry to help them to escape that life. Can you imagine somebody saying, Harvey Kahn, what do you think you're doing? Rubbing shoulders with these prostitutes, and he's saying, I'm sharing the gospel with them. What do you think? Well, be easy enough to misconstrue, I suppose, but how wicked it would be to do so for his case and in the case of our Savior. We do know people in desperate need with all kinds of problems, and we are among them, let us not forget. I remember a young lady back in Columbus, Ohio, where I was first pastoring and where I met my wife, we worked with the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Columbus and met a girl named Mary. And she, it turned out, was pregnant out of wedlock, and we worked with her. She was convinced not to abort her child. 
and brought the child to full term. And eventually, she became a member of that church. Can you imagine us turning her away? We don't want your kind among us. On top of that, she happened to have a very serious and disfiguring skin disease, and it made her look rather repulsive. And can you imagine somebody saying to her, we don't want to have to look at you? I mean, how hard-hearted could you be? And by the grace of God, we did not do that, and we welcomed her, and it was, we were glad to see her and rejoice with her over her salvation. But this is the kind of thing that was happening. And Jesus was being tarred with this brush. Maybe he's a tax collector. Maybe he's a sinner. But these people were repenting. And the pattern that Jesus displays in these three parables that are really together. I'm sure you know the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. Lost. A lost sheep. Among the hundred, you go out and you search for that one sheep out of the 99 who are left, and you bring back the sheep, and of course you rejoice, as the people around were also to do. And of course, the parable of the lost coin, valuable coin, perhaps it's gold lost in the house, part of her treasure, she can't find it. She has to sweep the whole house, remember this? Finally finds the coin. It's lost. Now it's found. Rejoice with me. And then it says, just just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God for one sinner who repents. These are preliminary parables, but they make the same point. We are to rejoice with the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. What else are there but sinners out there and in your own life and heart by nature? We can't say, oh, these tax collectors and sinners. This really is a kind of a punchline with a twist because it is about the prodigal son, but the climactic backdrop really shows the misery of lostness and the joy of finding your son back again. Who wouldn't rejoice? Now, there is a prodigal life of the wandering son, and I bet you you've hardly ever used the word prodigal unless you're reading the heading of this parable, and you go, well, prodigal, whatever. What is that? I mean, you have to know the meaning of what the Bible is talking about, don't you? Well, let's, let's try the thesaurus, shall we? Sometimes definitions in the thesaurus are just as bad as the word themselves. So a prodigal is a profligate, spendthrift, squandering, wanton, and dissipated lost soul in this case. That means... He is wasteful. He wastes everything, and that's what he was doing. It wasn't, doesn't just mean wandering, as I sometimes, when I was a kid, used to think it meant wandering, but it really means wasteful. Let's start out and look at the outline, and it says, first of all, this younger son was sick of home. He was tired of being at home. He wanted to do his own thing, and he wanted to be his own boss. I imagine some young people imagine, maybe some of you here have imagined, You can't wait to get out of your home to go and do what you want where you don't have any boss at all. Yeah, right. Just talk to your parents and find out that even if you're your own boss, you better listen to what you need to do to make a living or another boss who will be over you and to whom you are accountable. He wanted to have the good life, and he thought he could have it because he had a kind of a fortune that was coming to him. And he took that fortune 
You ever meet anybody that has won the lottery? I mean, the, what is the lottery nowadays? It's up to one billion something. And people say, well, maybe I could become a billionaire. Huh. Do you know what happens when somebody wins the lottery? They buy a house and a car and they pay off mortgages. And they give stuff away. They give money away. They support their children. And pretty soon they wake up one morning and it's all gone. This happens all the time. You think this money will last forever because you've never seen so much. And so it was with this young man. He thought he could do anything he wanted. Maybe he got some new clothes. He started throwing all kinds of money around and tried all kinds of pleasures. And of course, including, as his brother would say, prostitutes. So he was among the sinners and counted as one of them. Solomon did something like that just to test himself, and he spent a bunch of money. In his case, he said, well, it's all vanity, but he didn't lose all his money. He still had a lot. This young man had absolutely nothing left. And after that, verse 15 comes into play. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, that means that we know that he's not in Israel. How do we know he's not in Israel? Well, Jews don't keep unclean animals. And there's even a story of Jesus throwing a whole pile of demons into the pigs who run off the cliff and drown in the water. But that was across the river. That was in the Gentile country. And so here we find that this young man had fled away from the people of God and was living among the Gentiles. And that's where he lost all of his money. Now we find out that he decided to take a job. What job could he get? Feeding the pigs. Now I'm, a, I'm not a country boy, I'm a city boy, but I understand that pigs uh, eat high on the hog. Do they? No, not really. They eat slop, right? You're supposed to slop the pigs. I met somebody not too long ago who used to raise pigs, and they used to say, now pigs are actually very clean animals. That's fine. But they do wallow in the mud, and they do eat slop. So this really is part of his disastrous life where he says, I wish I were as rich as a pig. At least I could have some food. And I have absolutely nothing, and nobody gave him anything either. Now, it just so happens that I've spent a number of months in the last year and a half out in San Francisco. There's a church there that needs a pastor. If you know anybody, let me know. But um, he is, uh, the, I'm sure the church there is very uh, needy in the sense that they're amongst a needy people, as you probably know. You probably are aware of the homeless problem in San Francisco. It's partly created by the government who says, you can live here, we'll give you lots of stuff. So the homeless still live out in the streets, certain parts of the city, and they're in tents, or they're out lying in the gutter, or lying in doorways, and they're eating what they can find, and they're cooked usually on drugs, fentanyl or other drugs, and they are high or stoned or half dead, and they're lying there in the streets. How'd you like to join them? Like to be one of those guys? I've seen them many times. And you realize it really is a pitiful situation. And here is this young man in that situation. And he began to think to himself, wait a minute. I used to have a home. I got sick of home. 
and I left, and now I'm just sick. And so how about if I think about going home again? Now, in this situation, it might be hard to imagine going home, because when you go, you left rich, you came back poor, and you wasted it all. What are people going to say? What do you think people would say? Get out of here. You made your bed, you lie in it, wherever it is. I don't care what happens to you any longer. You gave up your inheritance and wasted it all. People could easily have said that. But I want you to notice that there's an important thing that happened before he went home. It says that he came to his senses. And I I love that verse, the idea of coming to your senses. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs had, but then it says he came to himself. He realized what he was doing. If you've ever been involved in, let's say, a lengthy pattern of sin in your life, and one day you go, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. I need to go back to God if he will but take me in and forgive me. This, of course, is the point of the parable. And so he tells this powerful parable of a son saying, I don't want to claim to be a son. I'll be a servant. Just give me a little place to sleep somewhere in the servant's quarters because I have sinned against heaven and against my father. It's a critical point. What Jesus is saying to those tax collectors and sinners that came to him were saying the same thing. They were saying, I have sinned against the Lord. Therefore, this man was not just miserable. He was sorry and repentant. Remember, we read, what is repentance? Full understanding of the seriousness of your sin. In the misery of this young man, could he ever be forgiven? He could imagine he could be turned away. He could imagine his father sees him at the door and goes, what are you doing here? How dare you show your face in this house again? You left, you stay away. He could imagine that. And he wouldn't blame his father in a way. But he went home anyway. Now I have known, I don't know why it seems to be young men who have sown their wild oats and realized they have done the wrong thing and come back home, confess their sins again. I've seen it happen repeatedly, especially when I was up in Dayton. Several young men came back and confessed either to me and or to the church that they had sinned against the Lord and that they were like the prodigal son. Do we have compassion for those around us who seem needier than we are? Are any of these things similar to what you have experienced in your life? Have you been a wayward son or a wayward daughter? I may as well give away my age again and remind you of a group that played in the 70s called Kansas. And that group had a lead singer called Kerry Livgren, and it turns out later on he became a Christian. He wrote probably one of the most famous songs of that group, and I wouldn't blame you if you start humming in a minute if you're old enough to know it. It says something about searching for home with undertones of that Christian faith 
that the man eventually embraced. He wrote, Carry on, my wayward son, for there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Can you imagine the tears of this young man? Don't you cry no more. Carry on, you will always remember. Carry on. Nothing equals the splendor. Now your life's no longer empty. Surely heaven waits for you. There it is. He's thinking about heaven. Carry on, my wayward son, for there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. He's not talking, it turns out, about somebody else, maybe his own son. He is thinking, he said later, about himself. He was the wayward son. He wanted peace when he was done. He wanted to be home. He wanted to be in his heavenly home, even though he had been a wayward son, the full and deep repentance of a wayward son who sees his sin. That's what we all have to acknowledge, whether it was Zacchaeus or Mary Magdalene, who had no hope for love amongst their fellow countrymen, particularly the scribes and Pharisees. So now we have the second point. The prodigal generosity of the loving father. You wait, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Prodigal? He told me that meant wandering. Well, it's not exactly the full meaning. There's a second meaning of the word prodigal. Also, it means, here's the thesaurus again, excessive, extravagant, immoderate, improvident, intemperate, lavish, and reckless. Well, it's kind of reckless, but it's in love. It's in love for this son who came back, he was lost, and he was found. What did our Heavenly Father do to save sinners such as you and me? It was kind of extravagant. He sent his own son to die. That those adopted wayward sons and daughters might come back home and have their heavenly home restored to them. This is what God thinks of you. He wants you to come home. Where is your home? Well, in this life, you could say, it's here. Here amongst the people of God. This is one of the most precious places you can be. Amongst the people of God who love God, who love one another, who are expecting glory, who put up with hard times, and who welcome those who come from such hard backgrounds and difficult sin patterns. The Heavenly Father is prodigal in His generosity and forgiveness and love. His prodigality is based in His love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still His enemies even, even before we turned back, he loved us so much he gave us his son, and then he gave us new hearts and new lives. We sing of the overwhelming love of God in, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Therefore, the father had not forgotten his son, and those of you who are fathers or mothers who have had wayward sons or daughters, recognize yourself, don't you, in this father. You want them to come home. You don't care. What they've done, you will welcome them back as they turn away from what they've been doing and ask for forgiveness. 
This is what the father had been praying for. I get the impression the father's been waiting this whole time. I don't know how long the son's been gone, but the father didn't know where he went. Somewhere out there, how could he find him? He had to find himself. He had to well be found by God, ultimately. He had to come to his senses. He had to wake up. And he was praying for this so much so that he must have been out there every day searching the horizon, waiting for the raggedy head of his desperate son to come up popping up over the horizon. And he one day saw him coming. And instead of sequestering himself in his house, where he might have seen his son come groveling into his presence, the father runs out to meet him. Incredible. Prodigal generosity. Overwhelming love. Deep love. And then he has a huge party. He throws a big bash. He's prodigal in his partying. He's prodigal in his generosity. He lavishes his love upon his lost son who is now found. He already lost half of his possessions to his younger son, and now he throws even more money at him. And this, of course, wasn't going to sit well with certain people in the family. But the father bore the cost of it all. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, you who are sitting here, you are wanderers all. We sing another hymn, I was a wandering sheep. I did not love my home. If you have been given the grace of God early in your life, you might have experienced that kind of wandering Now, what happens when the wanderer returns? There's a third point. Notice the pattern. You lose a sheep. Lost. Found. Rejoice. Have a party. You lose a coin. Lost. Found. Rejoice. Have a party. Rejoice with me as the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Now, here is a sinner who repents. What's the response of the older brother, the parable of the elder brother. He was resentful. And the word that, he, that describes him as the older son, it says in verse 28, became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Now the word anger here does not mean he was a little bit ticked off. It means he had deep resentment. It's the kind of anger and wrath that you have against someone who has done you wrong and doesn't seem to care. The elder brother, in other words, is bitter. He's very bitter. And he's unwilling to forgive. 29 and 30, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Hear the bitterness? And then, of course, this is not his brother. This is my dad's son. This son of yours who came, devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Did he really love his brother? Of course he didn't. He loved himself. 
Did he really obey his father? I bring you to this point. He says, with the rich young ruler, all these commandments I've kept from my youth up. Don't believe it. He imagines himself, as the Pharisees did, to have been such models of obedience. Who would question their piety and sincerity? On top of that, the father wants the, the older son to rejoice. And what does he do? Not rejoice. Lost, found, rejoice over the sheep. Lost, found, rejoice over the coin. Lost, found, the son is back. Not rejoice. That's the contrast. And Jesus is saying, you scribes and Pharisees think you're so great that you kept the whole law, and yet you don't rejoice with the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. Can you imagine being the older son? in this family and being so hard-hearted. That's the point. He's unwilling to give, as if the generosity of the Father was to be begrudgingly given. See the Pharisees again. They were unwilling to rejoice with the lost. Now I ask you the question, who was really lost? The younger son was lost, now he is found. Zacchaeus, Mary Magdalene, the disciples, they were lost, now they're found. The Pharisees who are so perfect are not lost, they think. Well, then they can't be found. And they don't rejoice. And they're not grateful. And they're not repentant of their sins. Therefore, they are the lost ones. Now, the Father's love even would cover the sins of the older son were he to repent. He says, amazingly, All I have is yours. Incredible. He says, all I have is yours. So with the Pharisees, if they were to repent and see their sin, he would actually welcome and forgive Pharisees if they would repent. Did that ever happen? It did. I could give you several examples, but you know the one who was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the apostle Paul himself calls himself the chief of sinners because he tried to destroy the church, he finally came to his senses on the road to Damascus. And he went blind for a while because he really couldn't see his sin. Now he sees his sin and he tells the world, even the Gentiles, come to Christ and we rejoice over you. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we talk to our friends and neighbors. I hope you do. You invite them to church, do you? Or somebody walks in with dirty clothes and kind of smelly and maybe has alcohol in his breath. What are you going to do? Send him out? I can remember one time at the Boardwalk Chapel. I was preaching as I used to do. And I was preaching and toward the end of the service, this woman comes forward right in front of the stage where I was preaching. And now we're praying and now we're talking to the Lord and we're telling people about the gospel. And she was, let us just say, a bit inebriated. But she cried out. She says, how am I going to receive this blessing? And we couldn't talk to her then, but my wife and I went and talked to her in the back of the chapel for a long time. And she said to us, I'll never forget this, I'm a terrible sinner, but you are good people. See, she didn't understand. And we needed to understand. There's really no difference. 
Now, she needed to come back later when she could think a little more clearly. I honestly don't know what happened to her. I really don't. I trust the Lord may have worked in her heart, caused her to come back. The chapel's there all summer. Go there, by the way, sometime you get a chance. And yet here, there was that idea that she had that she was unworthy. She was too much of a sinner. And we sometimes might join her in that belief. There's nothing that God has for you. How about you? Do you see yourselves as lost so that you welcome the lost as they repent of their sins? You think, I never went through that proverbial period of rebellion. Maybe you didn't in an outward way. Maybe you were a good young man or young woman as a teenager. But how about that rebellion inside? You can't get away with that. I'm not that bad. I'm respectable. I come to worship. I wear a tie. I don't like ties, by the way, but... That'll be a little respectable, you know. Congratulations for wearing ties. Congratulations for taking a bath. Congratulations for being here today. But you're nothing but lost sinners without the grace of God. Do you know that? I I think we miss it. We just forget, I think. You stand on the sidelines grumbling. But the way the Pharisees do, resenting the grace of God, these people are coming into the church, and they're going to give us a lot of trouble. And, of course... A lot of times you're right, but after all, what trouble have we given to God? Somehow, this older son had gotten it into his mind that his position was dependent upon his performance. Rather than enjoying his position as number one son, he worked to maintain and strengthen that position by his own supposed works. You recognize the Pharisees, don't you? Rather than sharing his father's wide-ranging compassion, and affection. He cared only about himself and no one else. As time passes, we imagine that we are good people because maybe we've avoided some outward sins of passion. Maybe not, but maybe so. Who knows? And all the while, sins of attitude in the heart run rampant within us. We do not regard our jealousy, pride, and judgmentalism as sins. They are... Peccadillos, there's another word for you. It means little tiny sins, little tiny things. Other people have big sins. We have little tiny sins. Not even bother to mention them. We call them faults or shortcomings, and we become critical and judgmental and unloving, and our surface familiarity with holy things has rendered these things dull, insipid, and boring. I hope not. But haven't you ever sat in church listening to the grace of God and saying, I want to get home and watch some football or whatever? Now, the important point here is this. Whether you are a Pharisee or a wayward son or daughter, you're all sinners. We are all sinners. And both sons needed a Savior. Both sons needed repentance. The one learned the hard way that he had to repent and come home no matter what it cost him. The other one said, I'm already home. I have all that I need. I'm fine. If you are that wandering son or daughter, God is ready and standing and waiting for you, though you think you may not have wandered, perhaps. The younger brother and you are the same in that way if you've wandered and know it. Or maybe the older brother, you've wandered and you don't know it. You have hidden self-righteousness. The Lord calls all of us, whatever combination of 
pride and sin we all have, the Lord calls us to come home. The Lord rejoices over each of you and all of you. And don't minimize your sin so you make it a little easier to imagine that God could do that. Not only does he know your actions, but he knows your hearts. Not only does he know your hearts, he knows them intimately. Every thought, every word before we have spoken it, he knows it all. Don't kid yourselves, please. Understand, God's grace comes to the unworthy, to the sinners, not to those who think they don't need repentance. Shall we pray? Lord, we are truly ashamed of ourselves, or we ought to be, for our pride and for our self-satisfaction, for our upbringing, whatever it is, or something we think we have not done that was not something we could have avoided or something we have all these excuses and all these reasons why we are really better than all of that. Teach us, Lord, the grace of repentance and faith in Jesus' name. Amen.